I also tell them every day that I love them, right? Because you can't make feel, people feel love without also showing them in a lot of different ways that you do love them. I love you. I, I show them that by not getting mad at them for making mistakes. I show it by saying, you don't get it yet, but I trust and that you will get it. I know I have this you know, belief that you're going to do well. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Quaker Matters podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Megan Hagenbarth, a middle school math and science teacher here at Wilmington Friends. Megan, how are you? Good, thanks. You have had two stints here at Friends. Uh, your first stint was right after your graduation from Colby. Uh, what drew you initially to Friends? So it's funny because um, all the schools, I applied to 12 different schools right out of college, knowing that teaching was what I wanted to do. And um, the three schools that I ended up having really good interviews with and got job offers from were all Quaker schools, which I thought was fascinating. And I was really torn between Friends and Moses Brown, which is in Providence, Rhode Island, the other really small state, two states that I had like really not spent any time in at all my whole life. And um, but what really clinched a deal for me at Friends were the people like the faculty here was so kind and wanted to talk to me and had lots of good questions. But then what really got me was that I taught I had to teach a class. And so I taught my class and then those kids later in the day were like, hey, hey, you remember us? We were in your class. And I was like, why do these kids want me to know? Like, they are so, like, I felt so included already. Like, they were excited to know who I was and like, you remember me? And I'm like, yeah, I remember you. You're the only kids I know in this building. You know, like, it was really cute. And I was just like, that's the kind of place I want to be. You mentioned that teaching was something that you always wanted to do. How did you know that? You know, I believe that I was put on this earth to be a teacher. Like it, I don't know. I, there, I know we're supposed to have like this growth mindset and I do, I do believe that anybody could do anything that they put their mind to, but I played school when I was little. I, you know, would have my little brother and sister, my stuffed animals all like around playing school. And then when I would tell people that I wanted to be a teacher, people were like, oh, Megan, you're too smart. Don't go into teaching. Women don't have to be teachers anymore. You could do anything. And my parents didn't want me to be a teacher. My teachers didn't want me to be a teacher. My advisor in college didn't want me to be a teacher. My only regret in my whole educational experience was that I really wanted to be a double major in education and earth science. And they were like, oh, that will just lock you into teaching. You don't want to do that. Do geology and minor in education so that you, you know, have something that you could fall back on and make money, right? And, and I did that because I thought, well, maybe all these people know what they're talking about. They didn't, you know? Like, you know in your heart, like, what you want to do. And 
I wanted to always teach. As I mentioned at the top, you have had two stints, this obviously being your second stint at Wilmington Friends. So in between stint one and stint two, explain to our listeners a little bit about what you did. started my own business leading camping trips for for, um, mother-daughter with girls the ages of 10 to 15 because it was the 90s and... That was when all the research was coming out about how girls were losing self-esteem. Like these girls at the age of 10 would be like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a professional soccer player. They had all of this confidence and um, desire to do well. And by the time they were 15, they weren't doing as well in school, didn't care about school, um, were really felt like they couldn't do math and science because they were girls whereas that was not the case in lower school. And and I don't mean just here at Friends, I mean like around the country. And this was a real issue that was being brought to light then. And so um, I did a lot of research on that and did my master's thesis on it and stuff. And so I, one of the things that I learned was that in order for girls to have self-esteem to really be able to keep going, was that they needed the three C's. Confidence, competence, and connectedness. And I felt like I could do all three of those by leading camping trips because they also were encouraged to break ties with their parents. Like, you don't need your mom. And then, but really during middle school, um, that's when you need your mom's guidance the most. Like not an overbearing, but to be able to have this loving, trusting relationship with your same gender parent who you know, did grow up in a different generation, but loves you unconditionally and is, wants to see you, you know, do the best you can. And so I could give them confidence, competence, and connectedness in the format of these camping trips that I was leading in the Poconos and the Adirondack Mountains. Um, and I loved it. it and I love camping and it like brought all my loves teaching and camping and the outdoors and girls and women empowerment and like all this stuff all together and I thought this is it this is what I'm gonna do and um but as you know I came back to my lucrative job of teaching <laughs> right so yeah so <laughs> your lucrative job teaching so I'm not a businesswoman. That's what it is. I, after that brief stint away, <laughs> and then and then you start your own family. Why did you decide to come back to Friends for this lucrative? Yeah, this lucrative job. job. Um, because uh, because I'm a teacher, right? Like through and through, that's who I am. Um, and I can teach in many different ways. So in the summers, I'm a camp counselor. When I was leading these camping trips, um, I was teaching. Like it's always teaching, but I love Wilmington Friends School. Like I went through public school. I always thought I'd be a public school teacher. And and I feel like I got a great education from my public school. When I came here as a 22-year-old right out of college, having like feeling like I'm so smart, I had a great education, um, which I did. I came here and I thought, what a better person I could be if I had gone through Wilmington Friends School curriculum if I had not only the academic strength that I got at my public school, but also the whole student experience that you get here at Wilmington Friends School, which is, you know, the Quaker testimonies and 
conflict resolution and the peace course and just teachers who go above and beyond for their students it was so eye-opening and and I wanted that for my own kids I want to transition here to the classroom and I know that many students as they're entering middle school have these preconceived notions that they are not good at math or science and I guess I'm curious as to how you not only debunk this myth, encourage them, and ultimately like empower them to believe in themselves when it comes to math and science. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's been my goal from the beginning, especially, you know, with all that research in the 90s about girls, but also that's, that can apply to all students. Um, there's a lot of math anxiety out there, um, and that spills over into science because science is the application of math. It's about really mastering that concept. And so um, I tell everybody in my classes, I'm like, this is not about you understanding the skill. It's about the whole class. My goal is that the whole class understands and masters all the skills and can apply them. I'm not trying to get you on a test like, yeah, I got you guys. You didn't get that one right. No, I'm trying to challenge you. I'm trying to say, hey, can you get this one too? And if you don't, then I say, hmm, is there something that I missed as a teacher that didn't get you to that point? Or, you know, maybe this wasn't a developmentally appropriate question for a sixth grader. Um, But the goal is that we come about this together because a lot of what you're going to do in your life isn't about you sitting in your by yourself trying to figure something out, right? It's always about using the resources around you. And and a lot of times those are your colleagues, those are the people who you're working with. And so that's my goal. That's why I try to encourage them like, okay, you don't get it yet. Keep working on it. Try something different. I say and I'll give a little hint and then they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, now I totally get it." You know. Can you explain to our listeners what Singapore math is? So Singapore math is kind of trying to make math more visual. So it's not just uh, learning the algorithm of, let's say, dividing fractions. Keep change flip, keep change flip. (laughs) And so that's what we're doing right now. Uh, But it's also like being able to draw it. Like, okay, how many times does 320 go into three fourths so you draw three fourths in blocks and then you divide each of those blocks into five so now you have 20ths within the fourths and then you see how many three 20ths are in there and then you're like oh there are five and that's why a division problem could have a bigger answer because they're like wait i just divided how could it be five how can you have a bigger answer because that's how many times three twentieths goes into three fourths. It's it's very counterintuitive. That's why like dividing fractions, like kids don't get it. I'm like because it's a smaller thing going into a bigger thing. So, but anyway, so I won't get bogged down to no, those details. Was, I mean, as a as a as a student that had a lot of anxiety when it came to math, even how you explained that, I was like, oh, that actually does make sense. And I wish maybe somebody had broken that down. Yeah, uh, like that. No, that makes sense. Um, do you also find students like more engaged when they have to investigate real world problems? Like, is that something that sort of, whether it's math or science that you're teaching? What I have found is that the early, earlier you start kids 
in a thinking classroom and making them think about real world problems, the more willing they are to do it. Um, because it's hard, right? Like when I have kids coming in from a different school who don't use Singapore math and they're really good at their math fluency, they're really good with computational skills. But then with the word problems, they're just like, uh, we didn't do word problems at my school because it's hard to get through a math curriculum and give them the time they need to struggle with real world situations. And so there is more engagement if they feel they are going to be successful. You have to give them the time. If you don't give them the time to really struggle and try lots of different methods, then they will not want to try to begin with. They're like, when are you going to tell me how to do this? So it's, it's um, this balancing act, because as a math teacher, more than any other subject that I've taught, you need to get through the content. I need to get through all the skills so that they're ready for seventh grade. So I'm always trying to, to squeak out times and be like, okay, let's spend more time on figuring this out. So sometimes I'll give non-curricular tasks, because then that way, if they don't get it, they don't really care. For instance, I love card tricks. I'm like obsessed with card tricks this year. This is like my new thing. So if I show a card trick and it, there's math base on how you figure out this math trick, I mean, this card trick, like you, this is all math, you guys, you can do it. And so when they figure out, they're like, ah, you know, and there's this like total like triumph. And then if they don't figure it out, they're like, yeah, didn't figure out the card trick, doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, you know, and it's not curricular, but it is getting you to think. I just want you to be thinking because the more you stretch your brain, the better the neurons are going to be, you know, making new pathways and stuff. So can you touch on the uh, green cup, orange cup, red cup? Do you still do that? So I, I haven't started doing it yet this year because I've sh shifted to a new model, but that doesn't mean I am not going to start using it after Christmas or Thanksgiving. So I have basically little cups that's what they look like that's the size they're small plastic and they're red orange and green i wanted yellow but i don't know they don't make yellow little ones and so um they stack them with the green on top and when you have the green cup showing that means yep i got it i'm just cruising along over here you don't need to come and talk to me because I, I understand and then let's say you get to a problem that you're not 100 percent sure on um, but you can do the next problem. You just turn it to yellow. You're like, okay, or orange. And you put it on there and it's like, okay, well, I'm kind of stuck on a problem, but I'm not stuck, stuck. I can keep moving. And so, but then if you go to the next problem and you're like, I can't do that. Or then you go to the next problem, you're like, I'm done. Like, I'm like now, like near tears, not going to be moving on to anything. Now I'm doodling. <laughs> You've moved it to red. And then the red cup, so I go to the red cups immediately because I'm like, I know that they're not going to do anything until I come and see them. And the red cup says, Mrs. Hegenbarth needs to help you. Orange cup means I'm kind of stuck and I'll get to them after I get to the red cups. Or a friend can say, oh, what are you stuck on? And they're like, number three. And they're like, yeah, I got stuck on number three. Or they'll say, oh, I got number three, but I can't do number four. So then they can help each other. And so then they can, like, so orange cups, like, I may never get to because they got seen by a classmate. So. 
I've heard you speak in terms of like the idea of creating a classroom of love and, and respect and, 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 and that makes sense as to why that would be important. I guess I want to know from you, how do you create that classroom? Yeah, well, I start the class with silence. So I'll, I'll bring my singing bowl and we'll take deep breaths together. And I'll remind them that we're here to learn math together. And I just am very willing to showcase my mistakes, to remind them that everyone makes mistakes. And to, and, and as my sign says, in this classroom, mistakes are expected, respected, inspected, and corrected, right? And then the corrections page that I have says, mistakes are opportunities for growth. And we talk about how there's SDOs, which are slowdown opportunities, and ROs, which are review opportunities. Like you can answer those yourselves when you get your test back and you can say, oh, I can't believe I did two times three is five, right? That's a slowdown opportunity. A review opportunity is I didn't get the vocabulary word right because I didn't study it enough, right? But you can look at your notes and figure it out that on your own. And then there's the feedback opportunity mistakes, which are the ones where you need help. Like you got it wrong, you still don't know how to do it. And, and just, I just tell them that you will remember things more if you made a mistake first. Like you didn't get it right the first time and the next time you do it, you're like, now I know because I got it wrong the last time. That, and it just sticks to, with you more. And so I make making mistakes very okay, for lack of a better word. Like you, I'm encouraging you to make mistakes and backing that up with, Oh, you made a mistake? Let's figure it out together. Or, oh, I somebody just made that same mistake over here, but they just figured it out. Why don't you guys talk it through and see how, how you can get there? So it's about collaboration. It's about really addressing if somebody rolls their eyes or says something under their breath or makes a look and addressing it right then and there, like that's not okay here. Like not only do our words need to be true, kind, and necessary, but also our body language needs to be true, kind, and necessary. And so when they see that I'm reprimanding students for not being kind, then they know that this is a safe place. And so that it allows them to feel like they can make mistakes. I also tell them every day that I love them, right? Because you can't make feel, people feel love without also showing them in a lot of different ways that you do love them. I love you. I, I show them that by not getting mad at them for making mistakes. I show it by saying, you don't get it yet, but I trust and that you will get it. I know I have this, you know, belief that you're going to do well. Do you think the encouragement of mistakes in that classroom culture ultimately helps in developing a student's resiliency? Definitely. And in this, in this time, resiliency and perseverance, um, for whatever reason, have really kind of gone down. And in, in students around the United States, I'm not just saying it here at Friends, um, and, it, and it is our job. Like that's, it, and that's the beauty of a school like Wilmington Friends School is to spend the time to really work on that because we know that the most successful students are going to be the ones who 
can build up resilience. Because if you get down on yourself too much, it's just like this spiral and and you just need to stop that spiral downwards and, and, and somehow make it start going up again. I look around your classroom and there are no chairs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's yeah. totally new this year. Okay. So I read this book called uh, Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics. And um, I also don't have much whiteboard space in my classroom, which has always been kind of a bummer for me because um, the kids couldn't really come up and do that. And so I, I was reading this book this summer and I was like, so John, I need you know $500 worth of whiteboards and... Um, I, I need and markers and erasers and um, and I'm gonna take away chairs and this is how I want my classroom set up and he was like slow down Megan what what are you talking about right and so basically the kids come in my classroom they pick a card and it's an ace one, uh, two three four five or six and I have six whiteboards in my classroom and there's that one up all the way up in there and they are randomly, visibly random groups are created that way. So they know that I have no say in who's getting picked, you know, into the groups. And, um, which is important. And then it's always three kids at a group because two isn't quite enough brain power and four, there's always somebody who's like a slacker and not doing anything. So you've got three brains, three people working together, one marker, no chairs. So they're all at their standing whiteboards and um, it puts you in presenter mode. You cannot hide. Like nobody is doodling in their books. Nobody, sometimes they're doodling on the whiteboards, but it's very visible. <laughs> and so you're automatically in presenter mode. And because it's on a whiteboard and not on a piece of paper, you're more willing to make mistakes. It's, it's just statistically proven that they're because you can just quickly erase it like no no I didn't mean I didn't mean that you didn't see that like yeah I didn't see that right okay keep going you know revise your thinking and then because there's only one marker they have to listen to one another and sometimes one person who really has strong understanding of the concepts will kind of monopolize the, the marker so I will sometimes ring my singing bowl and say okay marker switch and everyone has to switch the marker or if you understand, if you want something written on the board, you can't write it. You have to give it to somebody else and tell them what to write because that forces you to explain your thinking to somebody else, which is hard for sixth graders. They, they're like, I get it, but I can't tell them how. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works here. You have to be able to tell them how. And it's a, it's a challenging lesson. And, and that's a challenge sometimes for my brightest students because they somehow already know it in their brain and they have to really work on figuring out how to tell somebody else what they're thinking. You are a practicing Quaker. How does that influence the way in which you teach? Um, something that I've always done in my classroom is mindfulness. Before it became a, a cool thing, right? So Quakers have been practicing mindfulness since 1700s, right? But I find that something that I do when kids start to get stressed is I say, you guys, listen, we got to take some deep breaths here because the more oxygen you get to your brain, the better you're going to be able to think. So when you have shallow breaths, you're not getting enough oxygen. So let's just 
calm down. Let's take a couple deep breaths. Like, and so I find breath work to be really effective with middle schoolers. They will resist you. Like I had four middle school children in my own home at some point, right? So they didn't want to mom to like do deep breathing with them at all. But students will allow me to do it with them in class. And it's very helpful that way. Um, I, I have a sticker that says, um, I'm Quaker in case of emergency, be quiet. And, and I think that that kind of encapsulates that when there's something going on in the classroom, my immediate reaction is let's be quiet. Let's just think about this. Like if things start to get out of hand and that's a very Quaker thing that should just, um, instead of escalating a situation by being like, what's going on around here? You know, being like, Ooh, let's all take a deep breath and figure out what's going on around here. <laughs> you know, changes the dynamic of a classroom. I guess I want to end this portion of the podcast by just asking you in what ways do your Wilmington friends, colleagues inspire you? I, so, you know, every now and then I'll pat myself on the back, like, that was such a great class. I'm doing such a great job as a teacher. And then I go into my other colleagues' classrooms because we're encouraged to do that. And I am blown away. Like, I'm not doing enough. My husband will also often say, like, nobody works this hard as a teacher. I'm like, every single teacher in my school works this hard. Like, I, I go into Paolo Machado's art class and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I never learned this ever in my life. In all my years in education, I didn't learn what he's teaching these middle schoolers about visual arts. It's just so useful and and in such in, in such a clear way with his target skills posted on the wall. Like, it's just amazing the way he structures his classroom. Courtney Miller and and Laura Pardo, the way that they incorporate games into their language and like they're both tactile games and on the smart board games and the, and the kids are having fun learning a foreign language. It just amazes me, right? Uh, Jeanlin Shi, who like has all these awards of this Chinese, like she like goes, she like went to. Uh, Hawaii for you know excellent Chinese teachers and now she's going to another one and this summer and like and just everywhere you look Carlos Cherias makes this greenhouse and like the kids are growing food and learning how to cook it and and the nutrients behind it and science class I mean it's just amazing like what goes on in this building and and it's incredible and they my colleagues inspire me every day Let's transition to our Mad Minute segment. Just some rapid fire questions to help our audience get to know you a little bit better here. What's your favorite moment at Wilmington Friends School? So I have so many, like every day there's a favorite moment. So that was, that's really hard. But what comes to my mind, which is hilarious, is one of these moments from my very first year of teaching here. I was literally in this classroom and, um, I can't remember what time students were allowed to come upstairs, but um, they weren't allowed upstairs yet. And this kid is literally slithering along on the ground. He comes around the corner of my classroom and I'm like, hey, what, what you doing? And he goes, I just had to sneak up here and tell you that I, I have a compound leaf tree in my backyard and my mom didn't even know. I just needed to tell you. And then he sneaks back out. Like, and I, 
and we had just learned about compound leaf trees the day before and I it just warmed my heart like that they he was so excited to come and tell me that he risked getting an attention coming up the stairs from the library to come tell me that um, that's a favorite moment another favorite moment was this year so kind of bookends right this year when I was teaching this bounty hunter um, card trick um, and I'm like, this works all the time. Why? Why does this card work? And the reason is powers of two. But they don't know really powers of two yet. We don't know exponential work yet in, in sixth grade. But this student was just like, I'm not going to sleep until I figure this out. And the next day he came in and he told me, you know, this works this way. And I knew it worked because of powers of two. But if you moved it just one card, I was like, well, how how is this a line anyway he figured it out and I and you couldn't even find it on Google like we were googling it see like why does this work and it so he spent hours figuring out this card trick and that's about perseverance and that's about resilience and that's what it's about these next questions will just not like live up to those two moments that you shared so we'll just go like I mean like I should just end it right here uh, but I'll, I'll go I'll go very quick uh, what's your favorite food so of course, it's determined by my mood, but always fresh fruit on top of a mountain. What's your favorite song? <laughs> Any Indigo Girl song, and I love my camp songs. Like I, they, they pop in my head all the time. Like you'll, I'll find myself singing a camp song while I'm at school. Um, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> I love Cool Runnings. I think it's just, I, it's a, a movie that I can share with anyone, you, you know, with my students, with my family. Like, my family, we've watched it so many times, we laugh every time we, we can recite the, the lines. What's your favorite spot on the Wilmington Friends School campus? I never get tired of walking into this front door. Like, coming down the stairs and looking at the building, to me, that looks like a castle, and the trees, no matter what season it is, it's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. So I love that. And then of course my classroom. I love my classroom. We are now at the ring the bell segment. Same two questions to each guest. My first question is what do you want your legacy to be? Or another way to look at this is what do you hope students say about you as they transition out of Wilmington Friends School? One is I hope that they say that they had fun learning, right? Not just fun, but they had fun learning. Um, I want them to remember that the North Star is not the brightest star in the sky. I, I like that's earth science. Like I say that to them all the time. Like that is just a misconception that's out there. And I'm like, you cannot perpetuate the misconception. And, uh, I want them when I say every fraction is a, and they should be able to say division problem. <laughs> and like all those key things that I, that's like, like if I see you 20 years from now and you look up at the stars tell me what you know like tell me that you know the phases of the moon tell me that you know why we have seasons why we have day and night like all these things that you would think everyone knows but you don't because they don't teach earth science outside of middle school it's not required like you could go from seventh grade to the end of your education never doing it so those are the things i want them to remember i felt like i was being tested there. i don't have the answers for you so i'm sorry um, but uh, my last question for you is what is your why or another way to frame this because some people get stumped is like what's your purpose well it's easy for me i think that i was put on this earth to be a teacher 
um, I do it for the kids and I do it for the community. Like I love my job. You know, my husband will complain a lot about the tedium of his job and and they're definitely like we're in comment writing right now and that's not my favorite part of the job. But like I will come I will I will leave the house in a bad mood and I'll leave school in a good mood. Like I just rely on the quirkiness of middle school kids to to brighten my day. Not to say that they don't infuriate me sometimes, but 90% of the time I leave school in a in, in a really good mood, just really happy. And knowing that I have colleagues that support me and inspire me.